And we know uh, many of you have commented this in your own prayers. The numbers are decreasing. Uh, we're all aware of that. Uh, we we make attempts to invite people, and it's it's hard. It's hard. They come maybe for a little bit, and then and then they don't come, and so it's just a, a labor, and it's hard. And we're we're not criticizing anybody, by the way. This is this is just the reality. It's a labor. Um, and then I have to ask myself. I was I was asking myself, would I even be here if it weren't for the fact that I'm 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 leading it, <laughs> leading it. Uh, Sometimes we bring devotions, you know, we ask some ministers to bring a meditation and they come and they do that. And then um, uh, sometimes the, that's that's really, uh, that's the end of it. Um, but then I ask myself, well, would that be the same for me? I mean, it, would I feel the same way? There are other prayer meetings that I have attended online and uh, that I've only attended say a few times and I've not continued so you know there is a sense where where we have all participated in things and we haven't continued them and I'm just asking myself and I hope we will all ask ourselves why are we doing what we're doing why are we here what what are what are we doing and what is keeping us here and why aren't more people here and why is it hard to get people, not only here, but to the place of prayer generally? And you, you have to start asking yourself uh, those questions because it applies to you and applies to me. And, um, you know, why don't people pray generally? Why, why don't churches have seasons of prayer generally? I boiled it down to three basic reasons. There may be more reasons, but I boiled it down to three basic reasons. That's all under one big reason. To me, the big reason is there is no perceived threat. People pray when they feel and sense that they're in imminent need, that they're in danger or... There's a there's a imminent need or a health need or something of that nature. But when you don't have any feeling of threat or perceived threat, then then those the, the desire to pray diminishes at the very least. And certainly the urgency and the and the fervency in our prayer diminishes when when there's um, a sense that there's no threat. There's no need to pray. Uh, I would like to suggest that's all uh, an illusion. Any time we think that there's no threat, it's an illusion. Just like what we read here. There's a, there's a dimension that we're not seeing. And the devil is very good at it. And the three things, the three basic under, under that big title of there's no perceived threat the, th the three things why is it that people don't feel like there's a threat number one they're asleep when you're asleep you don't you don't perceive anything 
Okay, Nat just naturally. When you're asleep, you don't perceive anything. Number two, you're distracted. When you're distracted, you're not aware that there's an oncoming car. Okay? So many of these uh, car accidents that you hear about, uh, tr very tragic ones, uh, people were distracted. Okay? There's no perceived threat. So, number one, they're asleep. Number two, they're distracted. Number three, there's just a... Um, a weight given to something else that is more important than the threat or the perceived threat. It's, it's a conscious, uh, almost disregard or an ignoring or, if we use the same sort of analogy here in our text, a turning a blind eye to, to something. So there's a, there's a sense where people are asleep. Okay, um, I was thinking, okay, Matthew twenty six forty, our Lord, when he was in the garden, this was the, this was the situation there. He was in the garden, and our Lord was trying to get his disciples to wake up because they kept on falling asleep. And they were becoming wearied, you see. Sleep is a natural thing, and it's a, it's a, it's a good and proper thing. But not when there's a threat. And our Lord understood, and he saw just perfectly fine, that there was a great threat. You see, Satan was at the height of his activity right then and there. And he knew that he was going to target his big gun on his disciples, on Jesus' disciples. Satan hath desire to sift you as wheat, Peter. Pray. You need to uh, be awake and pray lest you fall into temptation. This is the time to pray. So, weariness can set in. Ourselves, weariness, where we just, look, we're tired. Because, as I say, prayer is a labor. And we're just going to opt to take a break, to sleep. So sleep can keep us from prayer. What's the remedy to that, by the way? Hebrews 12.3 Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Hebrews 12 comes on the heels of Hebrews 11, which is a catalog of the heroes of the faith. It's a history of what godly men and women have uh, accomplished through faith. And Hebrews 12 then starts out by saying, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and run with patience the race that is set before us. In other words, look at these, um, this history. Look at your own church history which is why we often do. We, we bring up church history. We bring up the New York Revival. We bring up the Isle of Lewis. Because what, what does that do? Just what Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about, let us run with patience. There's a motivating uh, influence when we read the accounts of the past, or there should be. And the ultimate motivating influence should be what we just read. Consider him. Yes, look at these great cloud of witness, but what about Jesus Christ? 
when he was in the garden, he wasn't asleep with the disciples, though he was just as tired, I guarantee you. He pushed through. And yet you would say, yes, but he's the son of God. Well, he expected his disciples to be awake with him. Consider him that endured, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So that's the, that's the antidote, the remedy to this weariness that can set in. All right, the second one, distraction. Wow, this is, this is the, great, the great thing in our day, distraction, distraction. I say it's distraction leads to destruction. C- certainly in the case of people who are distracted, they're driving, and they, it could lead to their destruction. The cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. Entering in Mark fourteen nine, choke the word; it becomes unfruitful. The other things, the stuff of life, not necessarily all bad either. By the way, it's the Martha syndrome. It's the 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 distractions of this age. And boy, oh boy, are we ever living in an age of destructive distractions? I would I would exhort with all of my might and encourage you to be very careful and very guarded, please, of what you consume. There's a black hole on your phone um, of endless, meaningless, but entertaining content. It's endless. You could spend hours... You know, remarkably, you have the energy for that. You could spend hours consuming just... And what happens is that your soul becomes so cold at the end of it. There's nothing so soul-destroying than spending hours consuming junk food, essentially. So be really careful about going down this black hole of... Yes, it's entertaining and it's fun and it's funny and but just be really careful. You will deaden your soul. It will cool you. Your your the fire will start to cool down. It has that effect, you know. Um even when you're just and I, I I've you know, I, I'm speaking from experience. Even when it's just maybe a minute or two, never mind hours just a minute or two of consuming basically innocent content, but it's just, you know, um, vain, vain. It has a soul-deadening effect. Maybe maybe I'm the only one. I don't think I am. It has a soul-deadening effect. It makes it so that your mouth is, is not really as open as you want it to be in prayer or in witness. It, it has that effect on you. So please be careful of the destructive distractions of the world. The lust of other things, they just enter in, inroads, choke the word. All right, the love of the world. Uh, so this is the third thing, the, the disregard, the putting your weight on other things, like the world. I was thinking about this uh, when it comes to the story of Lot. I was thinking about this this morning. Lot was literally pulled out of Sodom. He was told 
to get out of there. Take your family. Get out. And he was told to, you know, who else do you have? What other family do you have? Get them all out. And he told his sons-in-laws, and they were as, as one that, thinking of him as one that mocked. In other words, I wonder if Lot was coming to them and saying, all right, boys, um, we've been told that uh, destruction is coming and we need to get out of here. And maybe Lot didn't have a sense of urgency about him. Maybe he, he um, even though the words were correct, his actions didn't seem to back up what he was saying. And so, all right, we've got to get out of here right now. Let's go. And yet he was sort of not in a hurry himself. Um, that's, I think there's some truth in that because the record in Genesis tells us that Lot lingered. Why on earth would he linger around when the angels told him to get out? Uh, this place is going to be destroyed. And yet he lingered. And so the, the angels had to take him by the hand and pull him out. And it actually says, because the Lord was merciful on Lot. Isn't that amazing? It's it's like you believe it, but it's it's you're putting more of a of a weight or an emphasis on something else. And you know that to be true with Lot's wife, because her heart was still there. She 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 turned around, she looked at at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where her heart was. Maybe they had a lot of things. Maybe they had a nice house. Maybe they had built up a, a, a really nice um, situation for themselves there in Sodom. Yes, they didn't like the sin because it vexed Lot's righteous soul. That's what we're told. So so unless we didn't have that record in Second Peter, we would be like, is Lot even saved? But yes, he had a righteous soul and it vexed him. But he put more of an emphasis, see, on something else. And so that's, that's the reason why we don't pray. I'm, I'm listing out reasons why we don't pray. We're asleep, we're distracted, and we have a disregard. We're turning a blind eye. We, we're putting our emphasis somewhere else. Why is it that people don't pray? Why is it that we don't pray? Not people out there. Why is it that we don't pray? I think, I think this pretty much sums it up. What's the need? Well, the need is what um, we read in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha prayed that the Lord would open his eyes. Lord, open the young man's eyes. You see, if we're asleep, we need to be awakened. If we're distracted, we need to have our eyes put on the right thing. Open our eyes, Lord. Get us to, to see the threat. And I pray that God will open our eyes so that we can perceive the threat, and then we will pray. We will pray.